All right, welcome this morning. Thank you for coming to Trinity Community. I love hearing all that noise, by the way. That's all of our kids. And, you know, they say that if you don't have at least 40 to 50 percent of children in your church, you're in trouble. So they need to be uh, lots of kids. So always enjoy the chatter and the noise and just give thanks to God because that is the next generation that takes our place, by the way. So this morning we're in a series on the book of Romans, as you know, and most people, by the way, skip this section because it's sometimes viewed as a genealogy, but I'm not going to do that this morning because I think it's very important. As you think about the church, one of the sayings that the Apostle Paul has is we are to greet one another. In this passage, he mentions the word greet multiple times, verse 3, 5, two times in verse 5, 6, and 7, and so on. Greet, greet, greet. There was a a saying about President uh, FDR, President Roosevelt, one Sunday, or he got so tired of people just coming up, and he would go to say something. They'd say, I'm fine, how are you? So he thought he was going to get them. So he said, when they would come up and stick out their hand, he would say, I shot my wife this morning. They would say... (laughs) Thank you so much. It's so nice to thank you for having us here. He went on and on. He said several people went through the line and he told them the same thing until finally one observant man actually listened to him and he said, uh, well, sir, I'm sure she deserved it. (laughs) How many times when we go up and ask someone, hey, how are you doing? Do we really mean it? I mean, are we willing to stand there and let them say, well, not too good, actually. My life is a mess. Let me tell you about what's going on in my life. And then you go, you know, I really have to go. Can we, uh, yeah. We do this because that's kind of who we are. I want to tell you something. Paul made it a point not to be that kind of person. Now, if you remember, I told you that Paul was not a founder of the Church of Rome. He was a man that had never been to Rome. He didn't know any of these people in person because he didn't start the church. If you remember, last week Paul said that the only reason he hadn't been to Rome is because he wanted to go somewhere that no one had preached. And so he was going about in other regions planting churches. But, Paul says, I'm going to come to you. And when he comes to these people, he lists a number of people that although they were in Rome and he had never been there, he knew them by name and he knew intimate details about their life. And so that's why I think this this is very important to look at because people are important to God. And so the title of today's message is Careful Living. Paul is full of care and he wants these people to know that he cares about them and he wants other believers to care about them as well. Now when you look at this map, you can see that God had a plan on the day of Pentecost. You know, that's when the church started in Acts chapter 2. And what God required was all of the Jews, no matter where they were living, had to travel back to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You know from the book of Acts chapter 2 that a miracle happened that day and thousands of people got saved. Somebody traveled from Jerusalem back to Rome. You can see the map here. Remember the boot in geography class? That's where Rome's at. They traveled back to Rome and this church 
was founded through the people who got saved on the day of Pentecost, not Peter. Peter was an apostle to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. Very fascinating how God orchestrated this to work. So now as we think about this, here is the thought. Paul is sharing his care and his fullness of love for his fellow believers who have encouraged and invested in his life and in his ministry. Now he wants to take time in the most theological book in Scripture to actually mention their name. And I think this is just fascinating. Now this is going to be broke down in three sections. And section one is what we're covering today. Paul is sharing his care for fellow laborers. Then he's going to share his care for addressing problems. You know, sometimes we don't want to address problems. Paul made sure at the end of this letter to address problems. And then finally, he wants to make sure that he gives care for giving all the glory to God. And that's going to be our conclusion to Romans. And we are going to celebrate as we give God all the glory for what he's done. Okay? But today, we're going to be thankful for fellow laborers. I'm going to read through this section. I want you to listen to the names unless you want to read with me. Somebody said, please don't ask anybody to read Romans 16 with you because it's got some crazy names in it. But listen to what Paul says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house, Greet my beloved Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Isn't that interesting? Paul remembered the first man he led to the Lord. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Kinsmen would mean they were Jews. Fellow prisoners would mean they probably served some time with Paul. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So these are some people who had been saved before the apostle Paul was saved. They were older than he was. I'll come back to that verse in a minute. It's very interesting. Greet Urbanus, or I'm sorry, greet Amphilius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Staicus. Greet Apellus, who was approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That's an interesting name, isn't it? You know anybody, any narcissist? This is another interesting man who I won't come back and comment on, but this man was actually a freedman who apparently had died before the letter to the Romans was delivered. But this freedman had slaves in his home, and most people believe that Paul was acknowledging the people in this unsaved man's house. Very interesting, but we won't get sidetracked on that one. Greet those who work in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Apparently these were two twins. 
Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Mm. I preached a dear lady's funeral with Sean Wilburn's mother. And this was the text I used for her funeral service because she had been a mother to me as well. Paul needed a mom. And Rufus's mother filled the gap. How wonderful this ministry is. Greet uh, Ascentricus, Philegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So all these names of the people Paul is writing to acknowledge publicly, and by the way, their names are inscribed in Scripture for eternity. Can you imagine this? Their names will be there for eternity. And now, who is with Paul as he is writing this letter to the Romans? This is what he's going to say. Timothy, my fellow worker, who is with Paul, greet you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsmen. And now his Emmanuelus, or the one who was writing, you know, Paul was dictating Romans and another man was writing it down because he had better handwriting than Paul. And his name is Tertius. Paul, Paul tells him, Tertius, go ahead and you say so. So Tertius says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. And by the way, there is an inscription on a stone of pavement there by this man named Erastus, who was a very wealthy man, uh, the city treasurer. Uh, that goes to show you that wealthy and people that work for the city can be saved. Okay, <laughs> so you should be encouraged. Government employees can know Jesus. And this man did. And in fact, gave part of his money to pave a street, many people believe, to make life easier on the citizens there. So what does this tell us about the Apostle Paul? Well, I think it tells us several major important truths. And I'm not going to preach on this this morning, but I'm just going to mention them. First of all, Paul was a friend maker. Wherever he went, he made friends. Christians ought to be friend makers. He was also a soul winner. He remembered the first person he led to Christ, probably in every place, and he remembered their names. He was also an encourager and one who was able to be encouraged. You know, sometimes, uh, and pastors are really bad for this, we think that we are the only ones who can encourage people, when in reality, we are so encouraged by you that we are able to reciprocate. We may share something about truth and you may share something with us that just blesses our life. Caleb and I went this week to see two dear saints in our church, the two Jims, Jim squared. One was Jim Edmondson, the other was Jim Baker after his son passed. As we went in, I took my son with me and his comment to me, and I was just waiting for it because I always used to take the kids when they were small to visit people. He said, you know what, Dad, that was more of a blessing to me than it was to them. Both times, because they both share their life with you. Paul was an encourager, and he was also encouraged by other people. He was a mentor, 
And he was able to be mentored by a mother who took him in under her wing, Rufus's mom. What a blessing this is. And so it teaches us that we need to make every effort we can to be involved in the lives of other people. Now, when we think about this passage, if long lists of names and greetings teach us anything, it's that Paul loved people. God loves people. We should love people. Ministry and church work is not about a building. It's not about a program. It's not about a structure. It's about people. And every one of us, if we go around the room, all of us have a different story. We all have different issues going on in our life and in our family. But at the heart of it all is a human soul for whom Christ Jesus loved and gave His life to die for you. And you're important to Him and He cares for you. And one of the ways that He wants to extend His care for you is through the lives of other people. God tells us constantly in the New Testament, love one another, greet one another, welcome one another, accept one another, love one another, be unified with one another. Why does He repeat all these things? Because you hear the saying, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we're His voice. And when we express care and concern for people and a willingness to serve and help them, you are taking God's place in meeting needs in that person's life. And Paul wants to make sure that these Christians understand how they have the opportunity to serve God by serving someone else. Be involved, Paul's saying. Get involved. Now notice this first example, which is just powerful. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. Who is Phoebe? Phoebe was a lady who lived in Sincrea, I have a map, who traveled to Rome. And you want to know what most scholars think she did? She carried the epistle of the Romans to the church. The reason you have it this morning is because a woman risked her life to get the most solid book on the gospel, sanctification, the wrath of God, and eternal life into the hands of this church. It was entrusted to a woman. And her name, Phoebe. I've only known one other Phoebe. She's not here this morning. Or I was going to tell her, I'm preaching about you this morning. But I'll tell her next week. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. In other words, when people were sent somewhere, they had to have a letter of recommendation. And here the Apostle Paul gives the people in Rome a letter saying, you need to take this woman in your home and you need to provide her needs and you need to make sure that she has everything she desires. Care for her like you would care for me. Notice what he says. Care for her in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. Would it be a bus fare? Would it, well, obviously not. A boat fare? Would it be some kind of a need like that? Whatever it is, you help this woman so that she can fulfill her ministry there in my place. And I'll be there. Can you imagine this servant of the Lord carrying the scroll 
the book, whatever you want to call it, of Romans and hand it to this church and they stand and open this up. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, I desire to come to you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, peril, nakedness, sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My brothers, I appeal to you by the mercy of God. Present your body a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God which is your spiritual service. Don't be transformed by the world, but be transformed by the Spirit, by the renewing of your mind. Phoebe hands them this letter. Paul says, you remember her and you welcome her. She is a servant and a patron of many and myself as well. She went all the way from Sincrea, the bottom circle, all the way up to Rome. And by the way, that was some treacherous traveling Phoebe did this. Notice these other people, and I'm going to mention their names. Greet Prissa and Aquila. We also know them as Aquila and Priscilla because we meet them back in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, just turn back there to Acts chapter 18 this morning. Just for a moment, this is a rabbit trail. You know what they say, there's always a lot of meat down rabbit trails. Why did Paul think so much of Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple? I'm in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, just quickly here. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He got mad at them and ran them out, so they went over. Uh, into Athens, I'm sorry, into Corinth, where Paul was. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. And they were tent makers by trade. You know, Paul made tents and sewed them together. So did Aquila and Priscilla. They kind of met each other in their trade, and Paul became friends with them. And then, of course, as he began his travels, Aquila and Priscilla said, you know what, we kind of like you. We're going to join you. And so they followed Paul around. Well, flip over to verse 24 for time's sake here. While they were with him, uh, a, there was a Jew named Apollos. I always tell this when I go to Egypt because this Jew lived in Egypt. And his name, Apollos, was a native of Alexandria, Egypt. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was a fiery preacher. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now what does that mean? Well, if you come on Sunday night, you'll figure it out. But he was still preaching the message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, there was a new message in town, by the way. 
And it was the fact that the Messiah had died and rose again and was calling people into his body. So Aquila and Priscilla, I'm in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, notice how Paul flips the names. It's not Aquila and Priscilla now. It's Priscilla and Aquila because she reached over and elbowed him and went, he's a good preacher, but he needs to go to Bible school. <laughs> he's got all kinds of energy, but he's ignorant. And, and we're not going to embarrass him right now, but you know what, honey, we need to take that man. And I'm sure Aquila went, honey, we're not going to do that. He's working for God. Leave him alone. And she said, no, no, I'm not either. We're going to talk to him. He says, well, okay, if you do the leave, you do the talking, I'll let you do it, but I hate to say anything to him. What if he wants to fight? He's not going to fight. He's a, he's a good man. So what happens? Priscilla and Aquila heard him and took him aside and gave him a cup of coffee and a donut, and they explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. I always like to say this with a wink in my eye. He became a dispensationalist. He knew that God had now switched His plan from the kingdom to Israel, to the church, to Jew and Gentile alike, that they might be one people of God in this body. What a wonderful message. They, they went and shared this with Him, and what happened? He went out and He started preaching in the synagogues and bolting. God blessed His ministry. Later on, you read about Priscilla and Aquila. They were troubled, and they stuck with Paul the whole way. They eventually left Paul, obviously, and went back to Rome where they were pillars in this church. And Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Probably because they straightened out one of the great preachers, Apollos. And they were servants. And apparently they were wealthy people. Now, what are some lessons we learn about Jesus' church here? I'm going to give you six very quick, okay? Very quick lessons. Lesson number one, ministry is about ordinary people who are important to God. Ordinary people who are important to God. I wrote down here, Paul addresses 28 individuals, five groups, nine women, 17 men, two couples, two households, five slaves, two from nobility, three Jews, and two missionaries. By the way, two of these couples were man and wife who were ministry partners together. I didn't make this a point. I need to make that a whole sermon. The powerful nature of a husband and a wife who are able to work together in ministry is unbelievable. You can do incredible things if a husband and a wife can work together. He doesn't have to be the know-it-all. If she's better than he is, he's willing to go, you know what, dear, you're better in this than I am. Help me here. And he's willing to empower her and say, honey, you know what, you have gifts and abilities and I have squashed you. But I'm going to release you to be used by God and to bless other people because when you stand before Jesus, I want to be able to present you as my wife who served the Lord and loved Him, and I want to stand behind you and push you all the way, honey. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And I want to encourage you to serve Him and 
However I can help you do that, you let me know because I want to empower you. Ordinary people who are important to God. I pulled out just a couple of things here. I'm not going to spend much time on them, but listen to this. Five slaves. Five slaves. Verse 8, Ampilitus. Verse 9, Urbanus. Verse 14, Hermes. And verse 15, Philogus and Julia. Most people believe that they were slaves. People who had came to Christ because they were servants in someone's home who were viewed as less than ordinary. And here the Apostle Paul recognizes them on the same plane that he does with everybody else. And one of the reasons he does this is because of my second point. Because people in the church have one defining phrase. You want to know what it is? It's not rich and poor. It's not male or female. It's not slave or free. The one defining phrase that put someone in the church was the phrase, they are found in Christ. Now, are you looking at your text because you always bring your Bible to church because you never know what I'm going to say, right? Well, I hope you do. But anyway, I want you to look down and I want you to notice what Paul says here. Look in verse 2. They are in Christ. Greet them. They are in Christ. She is in the Lord. Look in verse 3. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. Go down in verse 5. Remember Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ. I'm in verse 6. And they were in Christ before me. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Apparently, Apelles was one of these self-doubters. God could never love me. I'm so wicked and rotten. You don't know who I am, Paul. He said, yeah, yeah, I do. Have you trusted on Jesus Christ for eternal life? Yeah, you're in Christ, son. And God has welcomed you. Warts, sin, flaws, failures, and all. You are approved in Christ. And Paul writes it down, inspired by the Spirit, to let him know, young man, you may think you're a failure, but God said you're approved. Verse 11, Greet my kinsmen Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of that crazy man, narcissist. They're still there. And although nobody liked him, you greet them because they serve God under that man. Verse 12, greet those who work in the Lord. Tryphena, dainty, and Tryphosa, delicate. Two twins, dainty and delicate. And Paul says, what about them? They are workers. They are the ones who get their hands dirty in the Lord. And now I love this one, my last comment. I'm missing one in 12. I know that. But 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Apparently, dear old Rufus struggled with the fact that God could select him. God could save him. And so Paul wants to write down, dear brother, let me tell you something. 
The way you know God chose you is you believed on Jesus Christ and God had a plan for you before you even believed. It all worked together. You are chosen in the Lord. In Christ. Back to my point, people in the church have one defining phrase. And that is the fact that we are in Christ. This morning, as you sit and listen to me and I look at you, those of y'all who are still with me, I want you to know something. As one man said, the ground is level at the cross. There is not one person who has elevated one inch above you. I don't care if it's Billy Graham. I don't care who it is. We are all on equal par in Christ Jesus. There are no tears in the Christian life. We have the same justification the Apostle Paul had. We had the same righteousness applied to our account because we believed on Jesus for everlasting life as Paul had. You have the same that I have. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And He accepts us, warts, failures, and all. And what makes us one is the fact that we are in Him. And He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our justification. It's all about Jesus. Listen to what Paul told the people in Corinth where he was writing. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world so that He may shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose uh, what is law and despised the world even though they are not. To bring to nothing those that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written... Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are in Christ Jesus. There's a third lesson we learn from this, and that is, hold your socks here. Women were a significant part of the early church as they are today. Now, I did a lot of research on this, by the way, and it's very fascinating that in the first century, women were rarely mentioned. As a matter of fact, they were glossed over by large part because the focus was on men. It's fascinating that the Apostle Paul here, who is often called a misogynist, a person who is anti-woman, because he wrote what he was told to by the Holy Spirit, that yes, women are not to be elders in the church, but they can do anything and everything else. They're, they're with, forbidden from being the lead elder in a church, but they can serve in many other capacities. One in this passage with her husband was a missionary. They're called apostles. There's a textual variant there, but very clear what they're called. And Paul acknowledges them of that and says they're respected by all the apostles and she is viewed on equal par as him. They're both sent ones. Nine women the Apostle Paul recognizes here. This would have been so uncommon in the first century. 
but not here. I turn your attention to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, very quickly. If you want to turn there, you can. Many of you probably know this verse. Galatians, Ephesians. So you can find Galatians, verse 28. Notice what Paul writes. There, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul wasn't woke here. He wasn't confused. He knew there was a, a male and a female. I mean, let's just get right down to it. What he meant here was, there are no class distinctions in the family of God. Ladies, listen to me. When we get to glory, and those of you who have served and worked your fingers of the bone for Jesus, yes, we're righteous just like each other, but because of your faithfulness and your service, you're going to be so high, we're going to have to get on your registration list to come and visit you. Dear friend, let me ask you a question. What would the church be like if it wasn't for women? You know, all of my male friends that buck up, girl, woman, it's a pleasure. I always ask them, what would the church be like if there were no women serving? You may tell you what it'd be like? Be dead. You say, well, why does God not allow women to be elders? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you my opinion. And it, you know what it's worth? It's worth probably nothing. But here's why. Because from the Garden of Eden, Adam did not take responsibility. And God held him accountable for the fall and the deception of his wife. Eve was deceived. Adam knew exactly what to do, but he stood there and let her do it. And in my opinion, one of the reasons that God made the man be the leader is because he said, buddy, you're going to do it. Because if God didn't make men do it, the women would have stepped up and done it. Now, throw rocks at me, persecute me, whatever you want. I don't care. That's my conviction. And if I'm wrong, God can tell me. But He made the men pick up the mantle and take the leadership. That's why they were the priests. This is why they become the pastors and the elders and the leaders. Don't fuss about deacons, by the way. Can a woman be a deacon? Here, I'm going to get in trouble down a rabbit trail. I think she is a deacon. Because Paul calls her a deaconess. She is a deacon. She is a deaconess. Now what is a deacon? Is a deacon an elder? No. The word deacon means servant. And there are women servants and there are men servants. And yes, there are both in the church. Now before you throw rocks at me, stone David Jeremiah, stone Chuck Swindoll, stone John MacArthur, all the big names that everybody listens to, stone them first, and when you run out of rocks, you can throw a pebble at me. <laughs> but the fact is, is that people recognize, especially scholars recognize, that there were women servants in the church. Nine ladies, he mentions. The bottom line, women are recognized and greatly used by God and ought to be empowered. And by the way, just let me get it out there. When a woman does the work of a man, she ought to be paid the same as a man. You want to know why? Because she's worth it. She's worth it. So, all right, I laid that out. Number four, 
The church is made up of people who are involved in deepening relationships with others. Notice the times here that the Apostle Paul mentions the care that these people had for him. He talks about people who deserve gratitude. Priscilla, Aquila, Epineus, Andronicus, and Junus. He talks about those who are outstanding among the apostles. Those who are attested and approved. And Rufus's mother, who had been like a mother to me. You know, I often thought about that. This dear lady didn't sit around feeling sorry for herself. She began looking for people that she could invest in their life. And she saw the Apostle Paul. And apparently he was hurting. Some people think that he was, had been beaten from in, an imprisonment. And this lady went over and gave him some motherly love. I don't know because we're just guessing. But whatever it was, she met his need as only a mother could. Put her arms around him perhaps and told him that she loved him. And she did exactly what Paul needed. And he wrote in the Chronicles of God's inspired word, greet her because she was a mother to me too. Deepening relationships. You know, we try to have deepening relationships at Trinity. We have servants in our church who lead small groups. Christopher, thank you for giving an announcement this morning. One of our great desires here is to have something for our younger people. 18 and up, you decide when you're too old. The Farrells come here on Friday evening and cook dinner for this young group. And young people in college and here in town and people who are straggling around, some of them never come back to church because they don't like public gatherings, come on Friday nights. And they eat from mom and dad Farrell and brother Patrick who cook for them. And by the way, they've been doing this for so many years. They first started out and had one or two people. And I know they had to be discouraged, but they never quit. And because they didn't quit, God began to multiply and double. And God has now blessed that ministry. And Christopher, who's going into ministry, is now taking that over. And let me tell you something. If you're a young person and you're searching or you're wanting a group to connect with, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to deepen your relationship, Friday night, 6 o'clock, come here and eat and sit down and talk to them. I think God will transform your life. Over 30 names in the two sections, and it's likely Paul knew most all of them. One of the reasons some people believe is because he wrote them down in his prayer list. And you know what I've discovered? When you pray for somebody, you don't forget them. I heard somebody this week remind me that when somebody comes up to you and says, pray for me, he said, listen to me, don't you dare tell them I will. He said, you stop what you're doing right there and say, come here. Pray for them right there. He said, because if you don't, you'll forget. Pray for them right there. I was like, wow, that is a deepening relationship. The problem or the, the blessing of small groups is that you get to know one another. The problem with small groups is you get to know one another. <laughs> but let me tell you something. It's worth it in the end. We are to bear one another's burdens. And when we do, we fulfill the law of Christ.
What is the law of Christ? That you are to love one another like I have loved you. It is worth entering into the pain of another person's life. Do it. Deepen the relationships. Number five, the church is made up of people who work hard for the Lord and each other. Should I go back through this section and pick out all the times? Greet this one who has worked hard for you. Greet this one who has labored with me. These people were servants who were not afraid to get their hands dirty. And the bottom line was that they were important to God and important to people and to each other and important to Paul. Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. On and on. Aquila and Priscilla, he mentions. I wrote down some names here. Epineus, who after Paul left, helped Apollos get straightened and then moved back to Rome. There was a husband and a wife team working hard together. And then there was Mary, verse 6. I love this one. Greet Mary. Not anything else is said about her. But look at this. Who has worked hard for you. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. There are a lot of people, by the way, who work hard to make ministry happen. And here's the crazy thing. Nobody in this life sees it. And one of the hardest things about volunteering in the nursery is having to sit in there and you know, watch the kids and change the diapers or back in children's church or having to chase the kids around all the time and teach. And some people find that as a burden because they're not out here getting blessed and filled and listening to long sermons and you know, so forth. But the point is, nobody they feel sees them. I've got news for you. God does. And those kids do. And they will never forget you. Never forget you. And you have opportunities to make impressions on their life. And men, let me challenge you. Get involved in children's church. We have some men that teach our children's church. And the kids love them. Volunteer to go in there and as Paul says, become a fool for Christ. Act out a story for them. They'll never forget it. And you know what? When you work hard in the Lord, God never forgets it. And you will be rewarded. And then finally, the sixth lesson, God knows your name. And you are important to Him. These names were written in Scripture, and I'm just going to be honest here. My guess is after I die and my family goes on, my name will probably be forgotten. Oh, somebody might see it in the annals of Trinity history if they're still written. Yeah, he was the second pastor there at Trinity. What, what was his name? Uh, anyway, today, our name may be forgotten by people and it may be forgotten by the world, but God will never forget it. Never. And I want to tell you something this morning. You are a soul for who Jesus died and gave his life and you are a person for who Jesus offers the gift of eternal life freely. And all you have to do is believe that what He did for you was sufficient and that He in fact offers you the gift of eternal life and He'll give it to you. Free.
But God never forgets. As I think about this, I want to challenge you with these words. We should do all we can to serve Jesus and others. All we can. People are important. Relationships are essential. And when you do this, it glorifies God and it builds the church that Jesus died for. Are you serving others? Are you laboring in the Lord? Is there something that God has put on your heart that you know you need to do, but you have pulled back? I'm going to preach a whole message on church hurt sometime. It's coming up. You know, a lot of times people get hurt by a comment from someone or somebody says something, or maybe they just think somebody said something and they take it that way. And boy, it just kills their, their Christian service, kills their church attendance. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't you dare let that stand in the way of you and your relationship with God. You serve Jesus and you do it faithfully because God will reward you. I leave you with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, which is a sermon in itself. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. In the culture that you're living in that doesn't know truth from error, right from wrong, man from woman, you stand firm in the teaching that you have. And let nothing move you whether it's pressure, whether it's by force, you dig your heels in and you stand and you don't move. And always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because, because, are y'all reading it with me? You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What Paul says here is that everything you do will be remembered and recognized and rewarded by Jesus. And even Jesus Himself said, not so much as a cup of cold water given in My name will be forgotten, it'll be rewarded. Serve the Lord. Serve each other. You'll never be sorry. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word. Thank You for these sections that we're tempted to skip over and how rich they are. And what a picture they give us of servants of Jesus Christ. I thank You for each one of these that are mentioned this morning. I thank You, Father, for those who are not mentioned but those that you never forget. I personally thank you for the people who have prayed for me. Thank you for the people who have prayed for Brian and this church and our ministry. You know their prayers. You know their hearts. I pray that you would reward them. I thank you, Father, for each person that does anything to be involved in this church. I pray that You would bless them and Your presence would rest upon them. Help them, Father, not to grow weary because we are serving You. 
And when we do that, our labor, and it is labor, Father, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you for never forgetting us, for never forgetting the deeds that your people do. And in our heart, we know that we owe this to you because of what you've done for us in Jesus. We can never repay you. You don't want us to repay you. We can't work for our salvation, but we can sure work out our salvation in Christ. So may we do that this morning as we look and seek for opportunities to be used by you. Bless this church. Bless the churches in this community that preach your word, that serve you, and want to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And may you get all of the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.